Welcome to another episode of Viatorian Voices, Conversations on the Way. This episode is the first of what we hope will be many episodes that take a longer look at important ideas from our Viatorian community life. We'll call these episodes Roundtables on the Way. Our intention is to gather multiple members of our Viatorian communities from time to time to have more in-depth discussions that explore things a little further than we can squeeze into the usual 15 minutes. For our first installment, we bring you a panel discussion from a Viatorian Young Adult Ministry event. Our monthly young adult gathering, Exploring God's Invitation, in June looked at discernment from a few different Viatorian angles, namely the perspective of three Viatorians. Brother John Eustace CSV professed first vows in 2005 and perpetual vows in 2008. In 16 years of religious life, John has worked in Viatorian parishes and schools, both in the U.S. and in Belize. Most recently, he served as Vice President for Viatorian Mission and Identity at St. Vider High School in Arlington Heights, Illinois. John will soon begin full-time divinity studies to prepare for ordination to the transitional diaconate and then priesthood in a few years, and continues to serve the community as Director of Vocation Ministry. Brother Peter Lamech, CSV, professed first vows in 2016 and perpetual vows in 2019. In his first five years of religious life, Brother Peter has served as a coach, teacher, and learning specialist at St. Vider High School in Cristo Rey St. Vider in North Las Vegas, Nevada. Brother Peter is returning to St. Vider High School to teach and coach for the 2021-22 school year, and he's also an alumnus of the class of 2007. Brother Ryan McMahon recently completed his pre-novitiate, a year of intentional community life and ministry with the Viatorians, in which he was able to more specifically discern that God is inviting him to religious life. We are excited that both Ryan and the Viatorian community will continue this discernment and formation as Ryan begins his novitiate year. During that time as a novice, Ryan will undertake more intensive prayer and study and more deeply explore Viatorian religious life, with the possibility that he and the Viatorians will discern that he may profess first temporary vows at the conclusion of his novitiate. Please pray for Ryan, for his discernment, and for the Viatorians. I'm Dan Masterton, the Assistant Vocation Minister, and it was my pleasure to moderate the discussion between Brother John, Brother Peter, and Ryan for our young adults. Here's the conversation we shared that night. We hope you enjoy it. Maybe it would help if each of you guys did a brief um, kind of um, thumbnail version of how you came to begin to discern religious life, which is the vocation that you guys are exploring or living in. Um, just as a way to help people find resonance with where they're at in their discernment. So maybe we'll start with Brother Peter. Can you guys just give us a brief version of your uh, discernment background heading into religious life, and we'll take it from there. Okay. Yeah, I, uh, kind of looking back, and I've had a lot of opportunities to, uh, of course, reflect on trying to kind of identify those moments in my life where I thought God was um, really trying to invite me into this way of life. And, um, in a way it was these kind of small things over time. And then they became a little bit bigger and kind of some bigger moments when I was in college and after college. But, um, one of the first really big moments for me was when I was a freshman in high school and it was the freshman retreat going from eighth grade to freshman year. And it was this kind of day-long experience. And it, I remember it was the first um, kind of time in my life where I had this kind of uh, recognition, oh, my faith is really important to me. I didn't know it was that important to me. And uh, the retreat itself was kind of run by the, the, the upperclassmen, the juniors and seniors. And I had some really good small group leaders um, but after that, when I was in high school, my parents really stepped back and I had to make a choice every Sunday about whether or not I was going to go to mass. And I did. Um, and I really enjoyed going to mass and I, I felt fed. I felt nourished. Um, my parish was St. James in Arlington Heights. Um, and, uh, it was something I looked forward to, um, and throughout high school, um, when I, would get there kind of earlier on a, on a Friday, um, I would go to the morning mass. Um, 
and not to say that um, I was better than anyone who wasn't there, but I also recognize it's interesting that I'm here and I'm with a lot of adults <laughs> and it's like me, the student and like 10 faculty and staff. And it's, hmm, this is kind of interesting. Um, so even early in high school, um, definitely St. Fighter High School and the, the kind of the way they do ministry had, a, had an impact on me. So that's kind of like, I think the first big start. Brother John. Yes. <laughs> no, I, um, I think back to, there were basically two different times in, in my life where the possibility of serving the church in a professional or a um, official sort of way came about. One uh, was in fourth grade. Uh, we were living in LaSalle, Illinois, and there was a Vincentian priest who was a local vocation from there who came and did a parish mission. And uh, afterwards, I was, I was just so enamored by this guy. And I guess this is more from what my family was telling me, but I remember some of it as well, um, that the, uh, I, I just felt like I told my parents, oh, I want to be a priest. And so probably for about two years there, it's like, yep, that's what I'm going to do. Then our family uh, ended up moving out to Las Vegas or Henderson, Nevada. And at that time I was going into seventh grade and yeah, come on in, Father Al. We were, I was going into uh, seventh grade and that the idea kind of disappeared then. Junior high, high school, um, we were very involved in the parish. Our, our family, one of the first things we did was uh, find St. Thomas More Catholic community. And, um, but it wasn't like, oh, okay, I still want to pursue this. Well, um, I would say it was in college that I got involved with the Newman Center at, the, at UNLV, University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Uh, some of our young adults out in Las Vegas know it well, including Kai Guerrero. And uh, so I got involved there and there was a sister, a uh, Franciscan sister named Karen Kraus, and she was the director of the, of the program. And she would get different priests in every weekend. And I started going, oh, wow, there's different priests, different uh, types of people. Um, and then I think it was through that, through me looking at becoming an educator, uh, realizing that all of my uh, spare time was involved either at the Newman Center in college or helping out at St. Thomas More with youth ministry. Um, that somewhere along the line, it dawned on me that I could dedicate my life to this. And within that, I, um, uh, and through my friends, I encountered the Viatorians more concretely and went, oh my gosh, there's a whole community of men who do this. And um, I won't bore you with all the gory details of that, but it was kind of a, a merging of uh, my desires, uh, my spirituality, and what I was attracted to do in ministry that uh, the Viatorians and God, I think, found me. And through that, the invitation came. Great. Ryan, you want to take a spin? Yes. So I think mine is very different from kind of a little bit different, well, a little bit different than what you two were saying. I think mine, I went to kind of similar to Brother Peter. I grew up in Onyx Nights. Um, and was belonged to St. James, went to St. Vider for high school, went to St. James for grade school. So kind of at the near the end of my high school career, I really was not ever thinking of religious life. Like I definitely had meaningful communal prayer and um, personal prayer experiences at my St. at St. Vider and at St. James. And but there's no one moment that really drew me out. But I think the seed was planted at St. Vider High School of this is, this is a very home. Um, this is where, this is where I feel at home. Um, and it kind of took me four years of college to kind of realize that um, the cliche, but like to kind of come back home to realize that this is a place that um, I'm called to be. Um, so I ended up going to the University of Michigan Majoring in neuroscience, majoring in neuroscience, 
and thinking I was going to be pre-med. And I think throughout that, the kind of call or the kind of thinking about religious life kind of came from looking at the root of my call to look at um, or pursue uh, pre-med. And so um, through conversations with Brother John, through conversations with my friends and family, um, the root of the root of the pre-med and I think the root of healing, the root of helping, the root of being a part of someone's uh, life um, and journey, um, looking at that and spending a lot of time reflecting on that, it kind of led me organically to um, looking at religious life. And I think um, something that I had to do and to kind of come to terms with once I went and left um, the Northwest suburbs, suburbs of Chicago and went to Ann Arbor, Michigan was just kind of owning my faith. And um, once I was able to do that, kind of personalize it and still have that communal experience at mass um, and through discussions of faith, I think I was really able to uh, seek out God's call for me. Um, so maybe now we can go off of uh going in order and kind of branch out into different areas where you guys might have different insights or memories. I'm thinking one place that could be helpful um, for people who are discerning things now or trying to find God's invitation now is in retrospect, do you see any particular people who you can identify now as having had a really positive influence on you or who were able to catch you in the right moment or in the right way and offer you the right sort of questions or invitations or opportunities or even you know, advice or wisdom or recommendations, thinking back to the, the different folks who might have impacted your discernment, maybe clearer now than in the moment. Yeah, one, one comes to, I mean, a, a bunch comes to my, come to mind, but um, when I was in college, I was so focused on getting the best grades that I could get. It's all I wanted to do. I wanted to get really good grades, and I wanted to have, you know, a resume so I could apply, uh, similar to Ryan, so I could apply to medical school. Like, that was what I cared about. And there was um, a monastery across the street that was the sponsor of the school that I went to, Benedictine University. And there was uh, a monk, Brother Rick, Brother Rick Poro, who was uh, one of the campus ministers. And when I was a junior... He, um, we had kind of uh, connected together through, you know, mass and stuff like that, that he said, you know, uh, have you ever thought about helping at the food pantry on Saturdays? So sounds like a good idea. Um, and I remember I went and it, it was one in the Western suburbs and seeing the people come in and seeing kids and families was kind of like a wake up call. And then um, from there, uh, I started to do that kind of regularly. He invited me to do this kind of one, uh, this kind of spring break uh, kind of mission trip to Hopkins Park um, or Pembroke, Illinois, um, to kind of see uh, in a way the poverty of this this place in Kankakee, Illinois, and to get to meet some of the people there. And I remember I, we went to a few, I went with my friends, I went to a few food pantries. Um, we just went to people's, um, you can call them houses, but I mean, it was basically there were four walls <laughs> um, and you know, a place to go to the bathroom, not even like a kitchen. Um, and I had really never seen anything like that. And, and to think about it in like kind of rural Illinois was kind of like, oh, this is, this is different. This is unexpected. Um, the, there was a moment on this mission trip that was kind of like the wake up call. God bless brother Rick, but he didn't tell us that we were going to be like, there weren't any beds. <laughs> and so there was just this tile floor in an empty room. And I had a pillow and a thin blanket. And so I had to sleep on this tile floor. So by like the fourth day of not getting any sleep, I was like, all right, I'm kind of miserable. 
Um, so physically feeling kind of miserable or like run down and tired, but on the inside, I was like, there was this joy there in meeting people and seeing something that I wasn't exposed to. Um, and so I, I, yeah, I think of brother Rick in, in a way, inviting me to connect to people who were in need and people who were suffering that it kind of, um, helped me to see where God was, uh, kind of inviting me, who he was inviting me to be, or at least recognize who he was calling me to be. Yeah, for me, I think uh, the, there, there was a two-phase piece here as well. It was sometime in the, when I was in college, uh, I lived at home and went to school. And uh, like most people at UNLV do, uh, University of Never Leaving Vegas, um, you go to high school, you graduate, you go to college, you still live in your same <laughs> childhood bedroom. Uh, and so I was studying uh, elementary education, knew I wanted to help kids. Uh, I knew that that was a part of, of uh, my call. There was something deep inside of me on that. I, I knew that. Um, I wasn't able to quite put it all together. But I would also uh, go to mass with my parents um, or with my, uh, at the Newman Center. So anyway, at some point I was saying, okay, I'm Catholic. I've been going to mass every week. I go with my family, uh, met some new friends, but I really need to uh, try to figure out what this is for myself. So um, due to a D in sociology my sophomore year, now this isn't an, an excuse to get a D, but um, <laughs> God definitely was working through that. Apparently, uh, one of the life lessons I learned is don't take a 7.30 a.m. class uh, especially if you don't intend on going to it, um, and then expect a good grade. So I get a D, and of course it was the teacher's fault, absolutely the teacher's fault. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, oh darn it, D does not stand for diploma in education. You have to have a C or higher, not even a C minus, but a C or higher. I'm like, darn it, I got to take it over in the summer. So um, fine, I go and I take the summer school class in sociology again. And um, in that class is this guy, Ryan Hall. And I don't know why, but prior to that, I never really ever talked to anybody in my classes because I would leave home, I'd go to classes, I'd go to work, I'd come home, I'd volunteer, whatever. Uh, college wasn't quite my scene. But for whatever reason, we, we kind of hit it off. And so that fall, um, or as fall semester was coming, Ryan said, hey, um, the Newman Center, because he, he was a part of it, and I was kind of like, oh, here's a young person about my age who's also interested in looking at what the faith is about. He says, hey, we go and feed people who are hungry at the Catholic Worker House in, in downtown Las Vegas. You want to come with me? I go, yeah, sure, why not? Um, you know, budding friendship and everything. He goes, yeah, we'll, we'll meet at five o'clock on Friday. Oh, okay, great. I get off of work, off of work at like four. He goes, no, AM. Uh, okay, <laughs> sure. So um, I got up before God because God's not awake that early. And we meet at the Newman Center and there's a whole bunch of people. Um, there was a, a Dominican priest named Father Anthony. There was Sister Karen, who I just mentioned before, and a bunch of students. And we all pile into these cars drive right along the strip as the lights are still on because it's dark we go to this uh, house in the middle of uh, basically there's crack houses all around uh, it's it's one of the most challenged neighborhoods in las vegas and uh, it's this old house built in the 1920s probably and there's a group of catholic workers there like making soup in the morning um, which was kind of strange to me but um, then we load these gigantic pots into this trailer. This trailer follows this like 1984 Dodge Reliant. And we go to this park and we're serving people uh, who are hungry and homeless. And I remember just being so terrified about it. Uh, these were bums. These were, 
I've driven by this part of the city. I don't know how many times there's in Vegas, there's two major freeways that go by the US 95 and I 15. And this is like right there. And I, I'd driven it hundreds of times, never knew this area existed. And it kind of bothered me. Uh, not kind of, it really bothered me. It scared me. Uh, but for some reason, I would go back week after week with a community of people, with this new community to me of the Newman Center, but also with the Catholic worker uh, people. I remember first starting being terrified and I took the job of uh, pouring coffee. So I would just have the dip the pitcher in this big vat of coffee, grab the cup, pour it, not look up and hand it back. After about four weeks, it was, I was able to go, good morning. And then after a while, I was able to reach out to people and actually start to have conversations with them. And I think that experience of being surrounded by friends, being surrounded by uh, religious leaders who I also saw at mass, one who was presiding at it, the other one who was um, offering different spiritual ways of looking at the upcoming scripture and uh, bringing prayer into the everyday life. And these Catholic worker people, Gary and Julia, who have dedicated their lives to feeding the hungry, literally living in the worst neighborhood in Las Vegas, um, something clicked there. And I was able to start to see people who I would have labeled as bums, as drains on society as, wow, these are real people. Wow, something's happening inside of me as I am able to provide a simple thing as a cup of coffee or a bowl of soup or uh, some sort of nourishment. And I really believe that those experiences that I was not only invited to, but I responded positively to uh, in the context of being with uh, friends who I'm still friends with to this day, 20 some years later, um, that was God uh, messing with my life. And uh, well, here I am and uh, God continues to mess with my life, but uh, I look forward to it. Well said. Do you want to identify any people in retrospect or in present even, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, I'm still it's unfolding. It's still unfolding. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, there's three people that kind of come to mind. Um, and one kind of circles back to kind of the first question. Um, the first is um, Sister Faustina Furco. She was, uh, she was one of my youth ministers. Uh, she's a nun of the Sister of the Holy Family of Nazareth, I'm pretty sure. Um, and she was my youth minister when I was in high school at Vider. She, uh, she worked at St. James and we did a youth ministry trip. We did a youth trip up to St. Paul, Minnesota, and it was me up front and her driving and everyone else was asleep because we had just finished the week long of service. We were heading back to Arlington Heights and she asked me, she's like, have you ever considered religious life or, uh, ordination? And I was like, at the moment, I was like, oh, no, no, I haven't thought about it at all. Um, but it, it's like, it's one of those questions where I think it just kind of freezes you at that moment. You're like, why is this person saying this? What does this person see? Um, uh, like, what do they mean by this? Um, so I think it's one of those questions where it's like that moment always kind of sticks with you. Um, uh, so, and she's kind of continuously, we, we don't keep in as much contact now she's off in New York doing amazing things, but, um, that moment always kind of sticks with me as a moment, like, oh my gosh, that's definitely a small fork in the road. Um, and then the other two, so the other, the other one that really kind of tangentially helped me was Father Bill, uh, Savasky. He was a pastor at St. James for a long while. Um, and he, he was someone that really, when I was seriously discerning, kind of helped me break the stereotype of like, it's not really a stereotype. I think it's just kind of a misconception of like, there's just, you're just ruggedness when you're in religious life or in you're in diocesan life. It's just like, it's the same thing every day. There's no joy. And you talk to him and it's just, he exudes joy. Um, 
he really he gave a homily a week ago and he said whenever i walk into a grocery store and people ask me how i am um he said i'm blessed um and like that's kind of how i feel this year has been it's a, it's been a blessed year it's been a it's been a great year um and i've been able to even experience the joy in, in the stressful or uh, annoying moments um and i think the last the last person that really uh has touched this journey and kind of really sparked um really uh fully ignited the fire uh within me to kind of pursue this religious uh vocation is uh my first spiritual director up in ann arbor he was a jesuit uh but father jim um he really kind of challenged me in ways that I needed to be challenged, but also affirmed me in when I was feeling unsure or kind of stuck within myself. I think the pressure, um, the pressure and feeling like not adequate um, was something that I, I definitely had to work through. And he, he just like, or the pressure of making the wrong decision. And he just kind of said one meeting, he's like, you, can, you can't make a wrong decision here. Um, there, there is no wrong decision between the choices that you have. Um, so that kind of gave me the freedom to kind of go and explore this and it's been great ever since. One of the interesting things is I think if we did another round or two, you guys would probably work your way to a Viatorian brother or priest or associate who is involved in some way, but you guys are all talking about people from other religious communities or from your home parishes or from your campus life who had a positive influence and ultimately pointed you toward religious life well before you even knew that that was maybe God's invitation for you. So it's interesting to think in retrospect where the influence is coming from outside of maybe the more narrow lane you end up in down the road, um, which I think is just fascinating and it, it reflects kind of the mysteriousness of God's grace in a positive way. Um, I wonder if kind of building on the positive influence and people calling you beyond maybe your natural comforts or where you're naturally kind of drawn to go, um, how might you, you say now, either in retrospect or as your spiritual life continues to unfold, how do you deal with doubt or the idea that maybe what I'm feeling drawn toward might not be the right thing or the best thing? We often talk about discernment is discernment because it's trying to figure out the path between two potential probable goods not like choosing between having ice cream or a pile of dirt for dessert it's usually choosing between two attractive things that have different pros and cons how would you guys think either in retrospect or in current practice that you would try to tackle doubts or skepticisms um, or roadblocks that pop up as you try to identify where you think god's inviting you yeah. easy question right <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think it kind of goes back to what peter was saying earlier and explicated in a better way than I could. But like, um, I think in college, he kind of talked about that narrow focus uh, that he had toward grades. And I think that the same focus that I had, um, but I always, I reference the story because I think the story captures it like perfectly of like kind of the transformation. I don't want to say transformation, but the change that's happened this year, the positive change that's happened within myself this year is so um, me and a couple other young coworkers at Vider this past year, St. Vider High School, we, can't, we were invited to come and go and talk to the ethics classes um, near the end of the year about um, the college transition um, to a bunch of people that are still transitioning now in their life. Um, so it was kind of ironic, but one of the questions that we had that a student wrote down in the note card was, um, is it okay if I really have no idea what I'm doing going into college. Um, I have no idea what I'm going to do, no idea what I'm really interested in yet. And I, I, I took that question, I said, my 18 year old self would have judged you and looked down upon you. My 23 year old self is saying you're doing it exactly right. And I think the doubt comes from that, that lack of like taking the like narrow like glasses off and that like myopic, myopic kind of narrow view. Um, so I think to kind of eliminate the doubt, kind of taking off the glasses that just allow for tunnel vision 
and kind of see the whole gamut of things that are, um, are possible um, really helped me um, and continues to help me. So I think to kind of go, go back to that um, is just kind of really, really talk to people with the, all the possibilities that are out there and avoid that narrow uh, tunnel vision sense when talking about um, the possibilities for your life. The, uh, I'll get all biblical here, <laughs> historical. The, uh, the Jewish way of looking at scripture or lo even looking at life is um, looking at, at what happens in life is as if you're walking backwards. We can't see what's happening behind us. So we, we walk backwards. And as we walk backwards, we see what happened. Um, and then if we turn around, we're still not going to be able to see what's going to happen. And I think looking back on my life, walking backwards, looking back at where everything has happened, um, I think I had serious questions or doubts um, as I was emerging out of high school, into college, and out of college, into uh, into the potential real world, so to speak. Um, and, and it was actually right out of college that I joined the Viatorians. Um, and as I look at those parts of my life, look back at that. Uh, yeah, I think there were some doubts, but I was more looking at, all right, what's the adventure here? Um, in fact, when I part of my pre-novitiate experience, I was in a, a pre-novice for two years, one year, here in the Chicago area the next year in Belize, Central America. Um, my experiences in Belize, I would actually write like the adventures of me. And uh, I, I think I've always looked at uh, my life as an adventure, as a, oh, what, what's happening next? Um, there's not a lot of fear there. Um, there have been some moments of fear for sure. Um, but as I look back, it's like, I don't have any doubt. And I think this comes from uh, good mentorship early on, like when I was in college, mostly from my friends uh, who were people who identified themselves as those who turned to prayer. Now, I would say pre 20 year old John um, didn't really know what prayer was, but because I was surrounded by these strong friends who did, I learned from them. And so any doubts that I have, uh, I bring it to prayer. I know that sounds so cliche, but I, I do, I, I just kind of trust like, God, you got me into this mess. It's your job to get me out of it. Um, and you will. And I trust that. Um, one example, the most recent um, ministry that I'm doing is I had no desire to ever become a high school administrator, ever. And two and a half years ago, the provincial said, well, we need somebody at St. Viator High School to be the vice president of Viatorian Identity and Mission. Will you take it? And I paused for a moment and I kind of had to answer relatively quickly. And I remember just going, well, if you see something in me that you trust, if you know who I am and you're asking me to do this, I can't find a good reason to say no, I'll give it a try. And um, also the sense of, okay, God, if this is what you want me to do, then you better do something about it. You better help me out here. Um, so I, I think I've had a shift in attitude from my late teens through my formation process of, um, I don't really worry about doubt, even though there are doubts there. Like some mornings I wake up like, wait a minute, is this God thing real? You Sometimes that just pops in your head and it's like, okay, maybe <laughs> we'll keep going. Uh, and then, or if I do question it almost immediately, there's, there's somebody or something that happens that answers the question of, yes, this is real. So uh, it's not so much doubt. I guess it's more faith for me.
come up with some good questions here, Dan. <laughs> um, the doubt one, you know, uh, when I was initially kind of two years out of college, I'm discerning religious life and I'm kind of discerning which community I looked at the archdiocese, thought about the Benedictines, and then um, it's amazing how it works. I, I was sitting down with all my sisters and my brother and my parents, and they said, we want you to look at the Viatorians. We think this is where you really need to invest your, you know, they didn't use the word discernment, but um, basically said, uh, we all went to school there. We all, you know, I coached, my dad coached there for years and this is where you grew up. Doesn't it make sense? <laughs> I mean, they, that's what they said. So it's kind of amazing. So, I mean, they, my family was the ones who really kind of invited me saying, you need to look at the Viatorians. Oh, okay. Um, in those like kind of nine months where I would go and spend time doing some volunteering and dinner for prayer that I guess that doubt of, is this, you know, is this the community for me? Could it be another community? Uh, maybe religious life isn't, you know, it's like a daily, almost like hourly type of thing where you're like, you want to like, you know, in almost a way you think if you work and work and work, you may get at that answer. If I work hard enough and long enough, I'm going to get there. And then the, the, I don't know, the realization of that certitude is never going to happen. That was kind of, it, it was almost like a blessing, but also like, oh, hmm, okay. At the end of the day, there's going to have to be some sort of trust, some sort of faith of, hey, um, you don't see the full picture, um, but uh, know that I'm, I'm guiding you here. Part of that was my family. Part of that was um, different experiences I was having with the Viatorians. Uh, and volunteering and so forth. Um, but I made that choice to enter the pre novitiate with a significant amount of, I would say, like lack of certitude. I don't know if this is going to work out, but it seemed, God, this seems to be where you want me to be. Um, so the, the doubt was definitely, uh, or wrestling with that doubt, or in other words, maybe, maybe it's not doubt or the uncomfortability of not having certainty or certitude or the unknown where it's, they can almost be, you know, it's kind of fluid there. Um, now <clears throat> the doubts are a little different of like, if you were to just read the news about the church, stop going to mass, <laughs> stop going to mass because it's dying, you know, young people don't care about it. So it's like, uh, you know, the doubt is the fruit of just, you know, let's analyze the data, so to speak, that data. But I think when you go to mass and you're a part of a community of faith, that people you're journeying with, there seems, at least for me, I get a sense of God sees something, the things that we don't. I think he sees the, the seeds that are there and the life that is there. Um, and in, in a way, it's the faith that there's something deeper happening that I can't see. And you have to be comfortable, at least for me, I got to be comfortable with not seeing the big picture, that God's at work, regardless of what maybe people will be saying. So um, not to say that it... it, it I can't fall into kind of negativity or even cynicism about certain things, but um, I think it, it goes to what brother John was saying, prayer, going into prayer. Um, that's what I think feeds the faith, feeds the trust. Um, also like just noticing the desires. What are, what are the, the kind of the deeper desires in my life um, when it's more of that kind of, self-doubt about maybe my abilities and um, feeling inadequate about a task. Hey, go teach this. I've never taught that before. So um, go administer this. Yeah, I've never administrated this. anything. 
Yeah. Um, one way I heard it put on a vocation panel once that included people in various states of life is a married man said, it sort of helps to de-romanticize discernment and vocation a bit. He said, you know, movies or TV or books or, you know, fictions make you want to think that a soulmate is a once in a lifetime moment where your path crosses with another person's path. And if you guys don't both realize at the same time, your ships pass in the night and then you're both, you know, star crossed the rest of your lonely lives. He's like, but that's not how life works, right? Like there's probably a lot of different things, a lot of different outcomes in which we could thrive and be happy and do well. But ultimately it comes down to trying to like pray, reflect, talk with loved ones, people who trust you, trust, who love you and care about you and work your way towards your deepest, clearest understanding of what God's invitation is. So it's kind of leaning into doubt rather than shying away from it and accepting that you'll never have like, a printed script for what your you know surefire best route is but that if you're making a good faith effort and you're you're living your best community life you're probably going to find a lot of love and fulfillment um and and the right things that god is calling you towards by putting all that together i had another friend who described it like doubt is a sacrament if you treat it the right way it's a it's a way of revealing god's grace and where god is pointing you towards and what he's trying to show you but if you're afraid of doubt or you you turn it into a fearsome kind of complex then it kind of compounds itself and tears you away from those opportunities. So it's, it's good when you can identify those ways that prayer and relationship can point you towards more clarity rather than deeper fear. It just makes a lot of sense. Dan, just one more thing. It's just kind of just thinking about my own spiritual life over the last few years, I've kind of noticed the anti in a way, the antidote to the, the, the effects of, fixating on doubt at least for me i found a gratitude gratitude for me of have i stepped back and tried to identify where god has been in my life today have i done that or have i just been so focused on trying to get things done mm. i gotta get this done i gotta get this done have i stepped back and said oh wow that was a great conversation today or wow that class really went well or, um, uh, you know, this morning when I was having my cup of coffee, wow, the sunrise was beautiful. Or, wow, dinner was, it was great to hear the stories about the guys doing ministry today. Um, and taking that time at the end of the day in a way that kind of examine of what am I grateful for and where, God, where has God been in my life where if I'm kind of negative, I know when I'm kind of negative or having those kind of negative thoughts or kind of the doubt of, yeah, I know I'm not taking that time to really sit with God and let God sit with me and identify those kind of where literally where God is working in my life. You know, I think that's one of the things for me that uh, when I do have the, like my day is not going well or uh, or maybe I'm praying in the morning, which I do pretty much every morning and, and in the evening. Um, there's the middle of the day where half the time or most of the time I go, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, this is about Jesus. Um, I forget about it. Why do I forget about it? I do the sign of the cross. I, I pray. I am a religious. I do all of that, yet I still forget about it. And so when I realize that I forget about it, it's like, okay, God, what's your invitation right now? And that's a scary question to ask because I know that there's an invitation right around the corner. Um, and, and maybe that's where the fear is, is I don't want to ask God to invite me to something. Um, but if I am constantly uh, reminding myself, this is where daily prayer comes in. Uh, if I keep that rhythm going, then I might be reminded that every moment of the day is God working through uh, the people around me or the uh, environment around me, the sunset or whatever. Um, I think it's when I lose sight of the everyday living in the present moment is when I get lost. And um, also I, I think it's when I'm not inviting God to invite me, it's like inviteception or something like that, um, that my focus goes way into the future. What am I going to be? Where am I going to be? Who am I going to be with? How will it happen? That doesn't matter. Um, 
and will I be able to, what I'm doing now, will I be able to perfect it so I'm good at it then? I, I don't think God even gives a crap about that. I, I think it's, we miss the point if we're doing that. It, it's, um, I'm not called to be a perfect person. I'm not called to be uh, somebody who has it figured out. If I wait for that, then I'm just going to be waiting. And God has people who need whatever gifts I have to respond to them. And I just won't be able to do that. So um, I think, I think that's, that's the invitation is to just hit the reset button every time. Like, Oh, wait. Yeah. Okay. God's in this moment too. Oh, God's in this moment too. Okay. Where do I see you today? God? Yeah. Like you need to reset from a productivity mindset or a, a, an accomplishment mindset. Think more about how can I be faithful to or present to the, the people in the community and the ministry that I'm, I'm called to do. So thinking of time a little bit, thought it'd be good to ask maybe one new question and go around the horn a little. If you guys think about living life in the 2020s with the way that technology and social media have proliferated across our lives and the way it's impacted how we spend our time, how we interact with each other, maybe how we practice our prayer and spirituality, not just in parish life, but individually, do you have any uh, advice or insights or recommendations on how you and kind of this decade and this age recommend that people maintain a rich prayer life, maintain a spiritual life, and give themselves kind of the parameters or the context in which they can do faithful discernment and maybe have a better chance, better framework they can find God's invitation? Maybe you start with you, Ryan. Yeah, I think like two kind of two or three things kind of come to mind. I think first it's going to kind of plagiarize from brother john a little bit but i think um is like i think keep the prayer life very simple like i think um one of the things that i do every day is um i'm working my way through the gospel right now and i'll, I'll take a scripture passage whatever wherever i'm at in the gospel and i'll kind of just sit with it for like 15 20 minutes either silent prayer um or um if I'm not doing that, then there's this app called the Divine Reading App, Divine Office App, and it has the Liturgy of the Hours, and you can kind of, it's not as communal as being live with um, your family or other religious, but you have people responding to the same prayers that you would be going through if you were doing it live with people with you. So I think keeping your prayer life very simple, um, and also with that is, not expecting that grim, like grand, like amazing moment that God's going to come down in a chariot. Like that. I just, I think, I don't really think a lot of people have that, but I think sometimes I slip into that like expectation of that in my prayer. Um, and then two other things I think that really helped me is uh, for discernment and, or just like practicing the faith in the, um, 21st century I had to think there for a second which century we we're in um but it's just I think being open to conversations I don't I don't really think people are always searching for like on a walk or on like out to dinner like a deep conversation about the theology like the theology of the body I don't really think that but like being curious about their life um his or hers life um being open about your experiences of prayer and or the practice of the faith. Um, I know for me, um, sharing with people that I'm thinking about doing this um, opens up a very interesting dialogue. I think they, I think people are bursting at the seams to talk and have these conversations. So I think being open um, to having those conversations when people are, uh, or when that other person is open to having the conversation and um, lastly, I think um, what we're doing right now, I think being connected to the new media through uh, podcasts, through um, different seminars on YouTube, I think um, it's awesome. And um, the one thing I think you'll find is that there are multiple different ways of practicing. Um, and they're all 
all appropriate. And um, it's kind of our job, I think, as religious to um, be a mirror and be a bouncing uh, switchboard to kind of be like, yeah, this is, this is, that's awesome. That's the way that you do it. But this is how I kind of look at it um, and kind of be in um, a mirror back toward them. So. I can't, I can't believe, I wouldn't have said this years ago, but I kind of, I will, I will say it now. I do think Twitter and, and Instagram and, you know, other platforms of social media can be an avenue, a good avenue at times to proclaim Jesus Christ and his gospel. I do. Um, it's interesting. Instagram kind of, based on what you engage, kind of as an algorithm or whatever, and kind of puts together, uh, you know, what you would want to see based on what you engage with. So it'd be kind of, that'd be kind of an interesting, like almost immediate examine. What do you engage with? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. what do I engage with by what's being populated there? Um, but I kind of like some of it. Uh, there are a lot of different um, either individuals or even, uh, groups or organizations that are creating content that um, whether it's, you know, quoting saints or quoting scripture of the day, or it's a little video of a reflection, you can find stuff, little stuff to, to kind of uh, perhaps uh, like what brother John was saying, remind you of, Hey, what is this all about? Having said that, I don't think anything can replicate that kind of time of just you, God, in silence, in prayer, um, taking that time and also like praying in community. Um, we don't have enough time for it now, but even my own spiritual life, the most profound experiences I've had of God have always been in a group with other people, praying with others. There's a dynamic that I think happens that even can't happen when it's just kind of you sitting alone. Um, so I do think, yeah, Twitter um, can be very informative uh, about what's going on. Um, Instagram can be in a way spiritual nourishing if you um, kind of are seeking out that, that content, but it's also like the core and Father Curbs was kind of like a no frills, kind of what I like about them. The word, the sacrament, we work with young people. We participate in people's lives. That can't be kind of replicated. The digital stuff can kind of maybe uh, make us more aware at times or good reminders or maybe even be, you know, informative about stuff. But the, the kind of the fundamentals of sacrament serving people, uh, I don't think anything can replicate the, the, the kind of the core stuff. So last night, Peter and I were, uh, with two young men who are discerning religious life, particularly with the Viatorians. And uh, we met in person for the first time. And uh, everything else since October has been on Zoom. So I have a, a, a uh, prayer timer app. Uh, it's a Tibetan bell that you, you hit and you can set the time for it. And so I hit it. And one of them goes, wait a minute, when we were on Zoom, was it always digital? And I go, no, I actually have a real Tibetan bell, but I think that's talking, there are things in this world that maybe are new to the 21st century, like a Tibetan bell or a Bible that actually has pages and you hold it in your hand or liturgy of the hours where you flip. Um, I, I think the digital stuff, points towards the holy or can point towards it uh, for me it doesn't replace it, it it's a good place holder uh, if i'm traveling i'm going to read the liturgy or pray the liturgy of the hours on an ipad or an iphone uh, but there's nothing like kind of seeing where what week am i in where wherever that ribbon is it's the passage of time that happens there uh, I don't mean to be like a, a boomer because I'm not, I'm Gen X, <laughs> but um, at the end of Gen X too. But it's like sometimes the social media piece, uh, 
is you don't see the passage of time or you don't see the, the parts you don't like. Um, however, for me, the, the, the way I really am able to dive in and know I'm loved by God and also invited by God is getting my butt outside. Um, being in nature, in uninterrupted nature, I would call it, is, um, is where I most clearly um, experience God's love or God's voice. Um, and it, it's not necessarily an audible thing, but it is a, a miraculous thing of all this plant life, all the, these rock formations or geological formations or animal life. Most often when I'm going intentionally going for a prayer walk or a prayer hike, um, something comes in, something catches my attention. And uh, then at that point, I pull out the phone and like post something on Instagram because I'm trying to capture that piece and sharing it with others. Um, but I think it's the simplicity of things. It's a book. It's a bell. It's an actual flame. It's oxygen. It's my eyesight in what's out there in the natural world that, uh, or it's a conversation that I'm hearing where God really um, snags. Yeah, one of the ways I like to kind of shorthand social media and technology is as long as it's supplementing or complementing an actual human relationship or an actual community, I think it's doing something good. But when it starts to creep into replacing a Bible or a, a book of prayer or a walk in nature, then I think that's where we get in trouble. So I think when we can use it as a complement to our interpersonal relationships and our community lives, that's where it, it's at its best. Just my two cents. So any other kind of like final passing uh, nuggets of wisdom that you guys want to offer uh, into our little happy meal here before we close up shop? <laughs> I, I just know that God's inviting everybody to something all the time. I like to always say discernment is different from decision making because sometimes you're just deciding between something good and something bad. Discernment invites prayer and deeper conversation and reflection because you're usually trying to split hairs between two good options like neuroscience and pre-novitiate or, yes. you know, uh, yeah. two different career paths or two different places you could relocate or two different majors you could declare at college. Um, and it's that prayer and those, that dependence on those close relationships and on the presence of God and those friendships and family relationships that kind of help you get to that 5149 moment where you can say, this is the path I'm going to walk down and I'm going to go forward with, you know, full faith-filled confidence. And, and Dan, you're, when you make a decision, that's you. When you're discerning, you cannot do that alone. It's impossible to discern alone. You have to have community around you to help you do that. And I think that's what Eucharist is about too, is we can't have Eucharist by ourselves. Um, so discernment is a holy thing. Yeah, I think my last comment just kind of goes back to what Peter was saying earlier. I think two of the things that really have helped me during this whole year of the pre and really helped me during my like very serious discernment time um, were gratitude and admiration. I think one of the things that um, particularly the pre-med mind gets like so warped with is that like false race mentality which is just like you think you're in a race with everyone else when exactly like there is no race happening at all so um i think one of those things that i had to kind of come to terms with now that i'm seeing a lot of my friends uh that i was in college with um going off to medical school um or going off to various grad schools um stanford john hopkins all these very well-renowned places is kind of saying like instead of being like envious instead of feeling like I'm not enough because I'm not doing that it's an admiration of like oh my gosh that's amazing like congratulations Tosin congratulations Sammy congratulations whoever um and, and, and that is 
one of the things that's kind of brought me peace through this whole process. It's like, I may not be doing that, but like what I am doing is not bad. Um, so it is equal in meaning in my life. Um, so uh, admiration has been a key thing for me. That's all for this installment of Roundtables on the Way. We'd like to thank Brother John, Brother Peter, and Ryan for their insights in our discussion and to the young adults who attended the event and engaged in our discussion. To learn more about our young adult ministry, follow our social media at Viatorian USA or email the Young Adult Board at ViatorianYA at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you about your ideas for podcasts and events and have you involved in our community life. Viatorian Voices, Conversations on the Way is a production of Viatorian Vocation Ministry. The Viatorians are professed brothers and priests, together with lay associates, who proclaim Jesus Christ and his gospel and raise communities where faith is lived, deepened, and celebrated. In the footsteps of Venerable Louis Kerbs and under the patronage of St. Vider, we strive to do everything well so that through us, Jesus may be adored and loved. To learn more about our community, visit viatorians.com or follow us on social media at Viatorian USA. Those seeking support and accompaniment in understanding God's invitation for them are invited to reach out to Vocation Ministry. Send us a DM on social media or email vocations at viatorians.com to start a conversation. On behalf of Brother John and the Viatorian community, I'm Dan Masterton. St. Vider, pray for us. Adored and loved be Jesus.